Welcome, I am your host, and this is the Unanswered Questions Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of my new podcast, Unanswered Questions, where every week we will endeavour to discuss a mysterious unsolved case that has many lingering unanswered questions. So I hope you enjoy and as always leave me some feedback on what you think about the show and rate it as well. Now on to the show. This week we'll be talking about the disappearance of Australian Prime Minister Harold Holt. So on the 17th of December 1967, Harold Holt, the Prime Minister of Australia at the time, disappeared while swimming in the sea near Port Sea, Victoria. An enormous search operation was mounted in and around Cheviot Beach, but his body was never recovered. Holt was presumed to have died, and his memorial service five days later was attended by many world leaders. It is generally agreed that his disappearance was a simple case of an accidental drowning, but a number of conspiracy theories surfaced, most famously the suggestion that he was a spy from the People's Republic of China and had been collected by a Chinese submarine. Holt was the third Australian Prime Minister to die in office after Joseph Loins in 1939 and John Curtin in 1945. He was initially replaced in a caretaker capacity by John McGowan and then by John Gorton following a Liberal Party leadership election. Holt's death has entered Australian folklore and was commemorated by, among other things, the Harold Holt Memorial Swimming Centre. Now we're going to get into the background of Harold Holt. Harold Holt became Prime Minister of Australia in January of 1966, following the retirement of Sir Robert Menzies. He was a career politician entering Parliament at the age of 27 and becoming a government minister at the age of 31. As with Menzies, Holt refused a security detail upon taking office, considering it unnecessary and potentially alienating to the general public. His stance, however, changed after two incidents in mid-1966, the first being a window in his office was shattered by a sniper and then an assassination attempt was made on Arthur Caldwell, the leader of the opposition. Harold Holt grudgingly accepted a single bodyguard for his official duties, but refused any protection while on holiday, regarding it as a violation of his privacy. His wife Zara later suggested, though, that this was so he could hide his extramarital affairs. Now we get into Holt and his fascination with the ocean. Holt was a very keen outdoorsman and had beach houses at Portsea, Victoria and Bingle Bay, Queensland. He was introduced to spearfishing in 1954 and it soon became his preferred vacation activity. Holt wore a wetsuit so he could fish year round and preferred either skin diving or snorkeling as he found air tanks burdensome and inauthentic. Once he had speared a fish, he would unzip his suit and place it inside, still bleeding, allowing him to continue fishing. According to his companions, Holt had incredible powers of endurance underwater and sometimes kept himself amused during parliamentary debates by seeing how long he could hold his breath. Although he could tread water for long periods, he was not a strong surface swimmer. Several of Holt's friends confronted him about the dangers of his hobby, including his press secretary, Tony Eagleton, to whom Holt responded, and I quote, Look, Tony, what are the odds of a prime minister being drowned or taken by a shark? End quote. On the 20th of May 1967, Holt had a close call while diving at Cheviot Beach on the Mornington Peninsula, where he became distressed and called for help. Pulled ashore by his diving companions, he remained conscious but turned purple and vomited a large amount of seawater. Holt attributed the incident to a leaking snorkel and supposedly remarked, and I quote, That's the closest I've ever come to drowning in my life, end quote. A few months later, on the 5th of August, which was also his 59th birthday, he was spearfishing at Dunk Island on the Great Barrier Reef. He spent 25 minutes chasing a large coral trout, but eventually had to abandon the pursuit due to extreme shortness of breath. 
now we get into Holt's health. Holt had been in a reasonably good health throughout his life, although he had a family history of premature death. His father had died at the age of 59 and his older brother at the age of 57. He suffered a severe concussion in a road accident in November of 1955 in which the driver of his ministerial car was killed. In September of 1967, Holt began treatment for a painful shoulder injury that he'd originally suffered playing football in his youth. He was prescribed painkillers and twice weekly physiotherapy. A few days before his death, he had briefly been examined by his personal physician, Marcus Faunce, who advised him to avoid ever overexerting himself and to cut back on swimming and tennis. The Prime Minister is Missing, a 2008 docudrama, suggested that Holt's judgment on the weekend of his death had been clouded by his medication, in combination with work-related tiredness and stress. Interestingly enough, morphine was named as a drug that he had been prescribed, although no direct evidence indicated that he had taken any on the day of his death. Now we get into the lead up to the 17th of December. So Holt's final cabinet meeting of 1967 began late on Thursday the 14th of December and ended early the following morning. He returned to the lodge for a few hours of sleep and then returned to his Parliament House office at 8.30am to finalise a press release. At 11am Holt left Parliament House and was driven to RAAF base Fairbairn where he boarded a military jet to Melbourne. His wife Zara stayed in Canberra to finalise preparations for the annual Christmas party. On arriving in Melbourne, Holt and his personal secretary, Patricia De Lacey, were driven to his constituency office. After dictating a few letters, he went on to his home at St. George's Road, Turak. There, he informed his housekeeper, Edith Tiny Lawless, that he'd be spending the weekend at his beach house. He also carried with him a letter from the Liberal Party whip expressing concerns at the performance of the government. Holt drove down to Portsea in his red Pontiac Paracene. He stopped in Sorrento on the way where he ran into his neighbour, Marjorie Gillespie, and received an invitation to evening drinks. He spent about an hour with Gillespie and her husband Winton and then had dinner with Lawless, who had driven down separately with Holt's clothes and provisions for the weekend. On Saturday the 16th of December, Holt rose early and ate a light breakfast. He did some gardening and made phone calls to Eagleton and his stepson Nicholas, inviting the latter down to Portsea. Holt played tennis in the afternoon and then spent some time with Nicholas and his family. In the evening, he attended a neighbour's cocktail party for about an hour and then returned home to host a dinner party with about a dozen guests. Now we get into his disappearance. So Holt again rose early on Sunday the 17th of December and after breakfast telephoned his wife. He drove to the local general store mid-morning where he bought insect repellent, peanuts and the weekend newspapers. One of the headlines in the Australian was PM advised to swim less which detailed the latest advice from Holt's doctor but whether Holt bought or read that particular paper is unclear. On returning home, Holt made plans for the rest of the day, which included a visit to Point Nippon, a barbecue lunch, and an afternoon spearfishing trip. At 11.15am, four others and he set out for Point Nippon, where they hoped to watch solo circumnavigator Alec Rose pass through the rip into Port Phillip Bay. He was accompanied by Marjorie Gillespie, her daughter, Vinya, and two family friends of the Gillespies, Martin Simpson and Alan Stewart. It was a hot day and Rose's yacht was barely visible, so the group only stayed a short time before leaving. On the drive back to Portsea, Holt suggested that the group stop at Cheviot Beach for a swim. It was about 12.15pm and he wanted to cool down and work up an appetite before lunch. Holt knew the area well and had swum there many times before. In 1960, even salvaging a porthole from the SS Cheviot, the shipwreck that had given the beach its name. Holt did not hesitate in entering the water despite a large swell and visible currents and eddies. Stuart was the only other swimmer as the others considered it unsafe. Stuart stayed close to shore and even in the shallows felt a strong undertow. However, Holt swam into deeper water and was dragged out to sea. 
The others called out to him, but he did not raise his hands or cry for help. He soon slipped under the waves and out of sight, in a manner which Marjorie Gillespie described as like a leaf being taken out, so quick and final, end quote. Now we get into the search. So, following Holt's disappearance, Stuart drove to the nearby Officer Cadet School, Portsea, an Australian Army training facility. The school was virtually deserted as most personnel were on annual leave, but the Victoria Police were contacted and initiated what became one of the largest search operations in Australian history. The search for Holt's body began at 1.30pm where three amateur divers entered the water and found it way too rough. They were soon joined by helicopters, watercraft, police divers and two naval diving teams. Little progress however was made, though due to the rough conditions and limited equipment available, it's not surprising. By the end of the day, more than 190 personnel were involved with operations based out of the Officer Cadet School. This number however was eventually increased to more than 340 personnel. The search resumed just before 5am on the 18th of December despite strong winds, heavy seas and occasional rain. Working in shifts, 50 divers focused on the rock pools and ledges near where Holt had last been sighted. They were forced to free dive to minimise injury as they were continually being driven against the nearby cliff face. Due to a change in the tide, the search was suspended at 8am and did not resume until mid-afternoon. The following day's operations were again hampered by the weather. Conditions improved on Wednesday the 20th December, but by the following day most personnel were being withdrawn. The search for Holt's body was officially called off on the 5th of January 1968, although it had been gradually scaled back to the point where it consisted of only a daily beach patrol. Lieutenant Commander Phil Hawke, who led the HMAS Lonsdale diving team, later stated, quote, any chance of finding the Prime Minister was lost by the Sunday night, end quote. Now we get into the aftermath. So, rumours of Holt's disappearance reached the media just over an hour after it occurred, and the first conclusive report was made at about 1.45pm on Melbourne radio station 3DB. Zara Holt was told of her husband's disappearance by Peter Bailey, one of his secretaries. Now we get into the memorial service. So, a memorial service for Holt was held on Friday the 22nd of December at St. Paul's Cathedral, Melbourne. It was led by Tom Thomas, the Dean of Melbourne, with a single eulogy given by Philip Strong, the Anglican primate of Australia. Due to the absence of a body, no prayers of committal were made. Within the cathedral were 2,000 attendees, with many thousands more lining the nearby streets and listening through a public address system. 30 newspaper reporters were given seats, but only one official photographer was allowed, as was a single movery camera at the back of the building. The service was attended by Charles, Prince of Wales, Secretary-General Hugh Thant of the United Nations, President Lyndon B. Johnson of the United States, Prime Minister Harold Wilson and, and Edward Heath of the United Kingdom, Prime Minister Keith Hoyleoke of, of New Zealand, President Ferdinand Marcos of the Philippines, Prime Minister Lee Kyun Yu of Singapore, President Chung Hee Park of South Korea, President Nguyen Van Thieu of South Vietnam, Prime Minister C.K. Yen of Taiwan, and Prime Minister Thamom Kittachorn of Thailand. I do apologize if I get any of those names wrong. Fiji, India, Indonesia, Japan, Laos, Malaysia, and West Samoa sent their foreign ministers as representatives, while numerous other countries sent their ambassadors. After the service, there was a formal reception at Government House in Melbourne. Now we come into the succession issues. So John McEwen, the leader of the county party and de facto deputy prime minister, was at his farm in Stanhope, Victoria when he was informed of Holt's disappearance. He immediately made his way to Canberra and on the evening of the 17th of December met with Lord Casey, the Governor-General, at Yarra Lumla. Casey had already conferred with Chief Justice Garfield Barwick and Attorney General Nigel Bowen and agreed with McEwen that he should be commissioned to form a caretaker government while the Liberal Party elected a new leader. This was 
was based on the precedent set in 1939 when Earl Page was made temporary prime minister after the death of Joseph Loins. Casey issued a statement announcing his intentions the following day, and McEwen was sworn in as prime minister on the afternoon of Tuesday the 19th of December. Discussions about who would succeed Holt as leader of the Liberal Party began as soon as his disappearance became general knowledge. The situation was complicated by McEwen publicly announcing that the country party would leave the coalition if the Liberals selected Treasurer William McMahon, the party's deputy leader. The leadership election was not held until 9th of January 1968, the 23rd day after the disappearance. The four candidates were John Gorton, Paul Hasluck, Billy Snedden and Les Berry. Gorton was elected over Hasluck on the second ballot and was sworn in as Prime Minister the following day, the first Senator to hold the office. In line with the Constitutional Convention that the Prime Minister must sit in the House of Representatives, he resigned from the Senate on the 1st of February to contest the by-election caused by Holt's death, which was held on the 24th of February. He won an easy victory and was sworn into the House on the 12th of March. Now we get into the analysis of things. So according to his biographer Tom Frame, quote, There could never realistically be much doubt that Harold Holt drowned. He was simply one of the number of ordinary Australians who drown each year through poor judgment or bad luck, end quote. Holt lightly misjudged his own swimming ability and the roughness of the conditions and was simply overcome by exhaustion. Alternatively, he may have suffered a heart attack, been struck by driftwood, stung by jellyfish or attacked by a shark. Holt's body was probably either trapped below the surface or washed out to sea on the ebb tide. It was not unusual for this to occur. Three men had drowned at a beach in Rye a few years earlier with one body disappearing and the other two ending up in different places. Sir Robert Southey, a senior figure in the Liberal Party's organisation, organizational wing said of the events in a 1994 interview quote my own feeling about what happened is something like this Holt was a very good swimmer a very good snorkeler came back to Melbourne troubled not very well overstretched overstrained worried I believe at the ascendancy which Whitlam was beginning to gain and thinking well now I can relax there's one area in which I really am an unchallenged boss and that's the sea and I think in that sort of frame of mind he went to the element where he felt liberated and misjudged the kindness with which his favourite element would receive him on that fateful day, end quote. Some have suggested that Holt entered the water primarily to impress Marjorie Gillespie, with whom he was rumoured to be having an affair. Zara believed that this was the case, and in 1988, Gillespie publicly identified herself as Holt's lover. In an earlier interview, though, she had been specifically asked if their relationship was sexual in nature and did not characterise it as such. Now we get into formal investigations. So the Victoria Police launched a formal investigation into Holt's disappearance the day after it occurred. Jack Ford, a former homicide detective, was chosen to head the investigation, with Aubrey Jackson of the Commonwealth Police assisting. The resulting police report was released on the 5th of January 1968, but did not record any definitive findings due to a lack of evidence. Senior pathologist James McNamara was consulted about what might have happened to Holt's body, and suggested it may have been trapped by kelp and then consumed by sea creatures, specifically sharks, crayfish, and or sea lice. If that were the case, the body would have been reduced to a skeleton in a period as short as 24 to 48 hours. Some of those involved in the investigation later reported that certain relevant information had been deliberately omitted from the final report. For instance, Simpson's statement that Holt had several cans of beer in his bag. 
The federal government declined to conduct its own inquiry as the disappearance was considered uncontroversial and his family did not want one. Until 1985, state law did not allow for the Victorian Coroner's Court to conduct an inquest without the presence of a body. In August 2003, State Coroner Graham Johnson announced that his office had compiled a list of 103 cold cases involving suspected drownings where bodies were never recovered. By November 2004, 82 cases had been deemed suitable for coronial inquests, including that of Holt. Johnston opened a formal inquest in August of 2005 and handed down his findings early the following month. He concluded that, and I quote, Mr. Holt took an unnecessary risk and drowned in rough water off Cheviot Beach. There is nothing of significance in any of the material gathered that would indicate anything other than drowning occurred. End quote. Johnston also criticised the decision not to hold a governmental inquiry at the time of the disappearance, suggesting that, and I quote, it may have avoided the development of some of the more unsubstantiated rumours and unusual theories. End quote. Now we get into the suggestions of suicide and the conspiracy theories related to Harold Holt's death. Some have advanced the view that Holt's death was not accidental, but rather that he chose to end his own life. Supporters of this theory claim that Holt was depressed and mentally unstable and killed himself because he thought his political career was in jeopardy. Those who reject it point to his joie de vivre and commitment to his family, as well as the plans he had made for the coming year. The 1968 police report specifically ruled out suicide, as Holt had followed an ordinary domestic pattern in the days before his disappearance, and suicides in front of witnesses were considered atypical. Who Killed Harold Holt, a nine-network television documentary that aired in 2007, gave particular credence to the suicide theory, as did an article in the Bulletin published the same year. In response, Holt's son Sam gave an interview in which he said, and I quote, There's no mystery. In essence, there's no credibility at all. No one in our family believes it. End quote. Zara had earlier said that her husband was too selfish to commit suicide. Two of Holt's former colleagues, Tony Eagleton and Malcolm Fraser, were also interviewed around the same time, and both rejected any suggestion of suicide. Alec Downer and James Killian had expressed similar sentiments in their memoirs. In contrast, Edward St. John believed suicide was plausible, suggesting that Holt's death appeared to be an act of a man who either wanted to die or didn't much care whether he lived or died. End quote. Senior public servant Lennox Hewitt recalled in a 1994 interview that Holt had seemed depressed in the period before his death. Peter Butt, who produced the 2008 docudrama The Prime Minister is Missing, observed, and I quote, No one thought it was in his character, and all those who know him dismissed the idea completely, end quote. Now we get into the conspiracy theories. So, Holt's disappearance spawned numerous conspiracy theories, most of which involved claims of a cover-up at the highest levels of government. A 1968 story in the Sunday Observer claimed that Holt had been assassinated by the US Central Intelligence Agency, supposedly because he had intended to pull Australia out of Vietnam. Also, suggestions were made that Holt had been killed by the North Vietnamese after being incapacitated by a nerve agent, or that he had faked his own death to be with a lover. In 1983, British journalist Anthony Gray published The Prime Minister Was a Spy, in which he claimed that Holt was a lifelong spy for the People's Republic of China. According to Gray, Holt faked his own death to defect to China and was collected by frogmen who dragged him to a waiting submarine. Reviewers noted multiple factual errors in the book, not least that it was physically impossible for a submarine to be positioned so close to the shore. His wife and grandson have both denied the theories, and Zara also observed that her husband didn't even like Chinese food. End quote. 
now we get into his legacy. So, Holt is remembered more for the circumstances of his death than for his political achievements. So, Eknell believed that his disappearance marked the end of an interregnum between the stability of Menzies and the internal conflict the Liberal Party experienced under Gorton and William McMahon. Australia had only one Prime Minister Menzies from 1949 to 1965, but six Prime Ministers from 1966 to 1975. Peter Bowers said that Holt's death ended Australia's age of innocence as it meant national leaders could no longer keep their private lives completely away from public scrutiny. Now we get into the memorials. So on the first anniversary of Holt's death, a commemorative plaque was bolted to a reef at Cheviot Beach about 15 metres or 49 feet underwater. Monuments to Holt's were placed on the cliff above the beach and at the Melbourne General Cemetery, the latter featuring the inscription, He Loved the Sea. In September 1968, a naval communication station in Western Australia was renamed in Holt's honour. The following year, Holt's widow was invited to Los Angeles to launch the USS Harold E. Holt, one of only a handful of US Navy ships named after foreign leaders. In March of 1969, the Harold Holt Memorial Swimming Centre was opened in suburban Melbourne. It had been under construction at the time of Holt's death, and the Melbourne City Council voted to name it in his honour, in part because he had been the local member of Parliament. The Australian Army also dedicated a swimming pool to Holt's memory, the Harold Holt Memorial Pool at the Australian base in Vung Tau, Vietnam. Now we get into popular culture. So Holt's death has entered Australian folklore and is frequently the subject of black humour. Travel writer Bill Bryson labelled it the swim that needed no towel. Holt's name has become a byword for any sudden or unexplained disappearance. The phrase to do a Harold Holt is rhyming slang for to bolt, i.e. to make a quick exit. Holt's death spawned a storyline in the Australian soap opera Neighbours and has also been credited with inspiring the rise and fall of Reginald Perrin, a British television series. In 1988, rugby league commentator Jack Gibson, ex-coach of the Cronulla Sutherland Sharks, said, and I quote, Waiting for Cronulla to win a grand final is like leaving a porch light on for Harold Holt, end quote. Over the following 30 years, opposition fans taunted Cronulla by waving posters of Holt's face and dressing up in wetsuits. The club eventually won its first premiership in 2016. With that, this case remains open, but with many unanswered questions, it still remain unanswered. Please rate the show and let me know what you guys think about this and the many other cases I've covered. You can follow me on all major social media platforms, YouTube, BitChute, Dailymotion. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, links are all down below in the description. If you have a case you'd like me to have a look at, don't hesitate to send me a message. I'm your host, and this has been the Unanswered Questions Podcast. Until next time, next on Unanswered Questions. The Philadelphia Experiment was an alleged event claimed to have been witnessed by an ex-merchant mariner named Carl M. Allen at the United States Navy's Philadelphia Naval Shipyard in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, United States, sometime around October 28th of 1943. 